Well, first of all, I want to thank you, Pastor Glenn and Pastor Aaron, for giving me the opportunity uh, to stand before the congregation today. And so I have to admit that I had been keeping a list of topics and scriptures that were that I was interested in, and it just so happened that when they asked if anyone had a word, I looked at my list and I said, well, I think I might have one. So I, I just looked at the list and I picked one. So I, I do want to say thank you for entrusting me with this opportunity. And I also want to say thank you to all of the people who are serving today. Thank you so much uh, to the worship team, but also everyone, the, the greeters, the people who work in the nursery, the people who take care of fellowship, the people who are um, part of the prayer teams, you know, the people who are involved with the audiovisual ministry, digital missions. We need everyone serving in every capacity, children's church, I mean, everywhere. So thank you to all of the people who are serving. So I'll give you a warning. In, in the past, in church, I've been referred to as crybaby and jumping bean. So I don't know which version <laughs> is going to come out today. <laughs> so I'm giving you fair warning. It's all right. So the title of my message today is Bloom Where You're Planted. But I thought before I dived into the message that I would just um, share a couple of things that are on my heart. I don't know if you've ever had this feeling of like restlessness. You know, you don't quite know what to call it. But some people say it's divine discontent. You feel like, you know, something is happening. You can't articulate what it is, but something's going on. And so I've been experiencing a bit of that lately. You know, Paul wrote in the book of Romans that the whole creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. And I know that, you know, at New Hope, you know, we are all excited about what God is doing in our individual lives. But he's also looking to do things in our communities. So I used to pray a while ago. I used to pray, Lord, I thank you that everywhere my feet tread, that territory has been reclaimed for the kingdom. But I realized that it's been quite some time before I prayed those words. So I want you all to be my witnesses today as I say, Lord, I thank you that everywhere my feet tread, that territory is reclaimed for the kingdom. You know, Jabez prayed and he asked God, he said, God, bless me and enlarge my territory. And I think sometimes I'm living beneath my privileges as a believer, I mean, God has called us to take a stand, to be a decisive people, to be a people who stand up and speak up for the poor, the oppressed, the immigrant. I mean, we have a duty based on God's word. And so I'm excited today to reclaim those words and to say that prayer. And I want you all to hold me accountable if I don't do anything about it. So why did I choose the title, Bloom Where You're Planted? Because sometimes we allow the things of this world to cause us to doubt that God's glory can shine in and through us. We're constantly bombarded with negativity and issues that seem so overwhelming that we start to believe that we can't possibly make a real difference. But God wants to use each one of us, regardless of our station in life or whatever demographic group society has placed us in. Children are the most high God, created in him, his image, and God is no respecter of persons. We may look at the person's outer appearance, but God looks at the heart. He looks at the character. He looks at our motives. If you remember just one thing from this message today, 
I hope you will remember this, that God can and will use you wherever you are or whatever your occupation. He's just looking for people who are willing and obedient, people who will say, yes, Lord, here am I, use me. So what does it mean to bloom where you're planted? It means using your talents, your skills, and your influence to glorify God and produce good fruit. It means affecting the environment you're planted in by fostering or leading change. It's making the most of where you're planted, even under less than ideal circumstances. So before we go any further, I'd like us to keep a few passages of scripture in mind. The first one is from Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 8 through 9. 8 through 9. And I use the Amplified Bible because I like the way this version put it. Most blessed is the man who believes in, trusts in, and relies on the Lord, and whose hope and confidence the Lord is. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters that spreads out its roots by the river, and it shall not see and fear when heat comes, but the leaf shall be green. It shall not be anxious and full of care in the year of drought, nor shall it cease yielding fruit. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and praise your Father in heaven. And last but not least, Ephesians 2.8-10, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, some of you may know that I served on active duty in the Navy for 36 years. But back in the mid-90s, when I was stationed in Naples, Italy, I was invited to a weekend women's retreat at a beautiful facility located by the seaside. The theme of the, of the retreat was make me a servant, and it was all about how we can serve God by serving others. On the last day of the retreat, we assembled in a circle, and each woman was given a candle. As the song, Go Light Your Candle by Kathy Tricoli was playing in the background, we all lit our candles, and some people joined in the, in the singing. I had never heard the song before, but the words really touched me in a profound way. Especially the verse that says, So carry your candle, run to the darkness, seek out the lonely, the tired, and worn, and hold out your candle for all to see it. Take your candle and go light your world. I believe what happened that weekend was one of the defining moments that led me to the life-changing event on July 17, 1998. That was the day that I realized that God loved me, he knew me by name, he had forgiven me of my sins, and I didn't need to be ashamed of my past any longer. It was an incredible time, and I was overwhelmed with the knowledge, knowledge that God loved me. My heart's desire was to serve him, and I thought that the only way that I could do that was by joining the ministry. I was ready to submit my retirement papers and enroll in a seminary school or pursue a degree in theology. It took a stern word from the Lord for me to realize 
that God wasn't asking me to give up on my military career. In fact, he wanted to use me right where I was to glorify him through my words and deeds. As I reflected on my time in the Navy, I realized how God put me in positions to bring about change, to be an instrument of justice, and to be a voice for the voiceless. You know, the beautiful thing about God is how he loves us in our uniqueness. We don't have to be like anyone else. The Bible is filled with stories of how God used people from all different backgrounds and walks of life to fulfill his plans and purposes. Whether it was the widow at Zarephath who provided food for Elijah when he was hiding after telling King Ahab that there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. God told Elijah to go to Zarephath and there he would find the widow to feed him. When Elijah encountered this poor widow, she was gathering sticks so she could go home and prepare a last meal for her and her son. But Elijah told her, no, go and prepare a meal for me first. And this woman, even though she had nothing, just a little bit of oil left and meal for just one dinner, basically, she went ahead and prepared the meal for Elijah. And then after that, she realized that there was still oil there was still flour left over so she could continue to cook. And this lasted for days. And so God used Elijah to strengthen her when she was ready to give up because she thought she didn't have enough food. She was just going to die. And then he used her as well to provide physical nourishment for Elijah. God blessed both Elijah and the widow spiritually and physically. God cared about the widow as much as he cared about Elijah. That story is told in 1 Kings 17. Jesus also spoke about the widow. In Luke chapter 4, verses 25 through 26, he says, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut up for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any one of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Joseph. Now, Joseph's story covers a lot of Genesis, starting in chapter 37 and going on from 39 to 50. So this is like um, not even a one-minute version. But <laughs> to me, Joseph's life personifies what it means to trust in God and make the most of your circumstances under less than ideal conditions. So this is some of the things that he went through. His brothers threw him into a cistern. And then they sold him to a bunch of Ishmaelite uh, traders for what would be the equivalent of $200 today. They then sold him to one of Pharaoh's officials, Potiphar, in Egypt. Potiphar's wife accused Joseph of trying to assault her. Joseph gets thrown in prison. He's in prison. He interprets some dreams. And then the people whose dreams he interpreted, it happened exactly as he said. So then he gets elevated from the prison to the palace. He eventually becomes like the second in command in all of Egypt. And he leads them through seven years of famine and seven years of prosperity and famine. So when you look at all the things that he endured during his time there, there, it would be easy to see how he could have ended up as a bitter and vengeful person because all of the tragic circumstances he encountered in his early years. But we see glimpses of the way 
how God blessed the work of his hands and gave him success in whatever he did. Jacob ended up guiding the nation, and in Genesis 50:20, a verse that's often paraphrased today, Joseph told his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph was a man of integrity, and he never allowed his circumstances to cause him to turn away from God or to live an ungodly life. The third biblical figure I'll mention is the Samaritan woman at the well, and her story is told in John chapter 4. Her encounter with Jesus broke all sorts of barriers and assumptions about the role of women and acceptable interactions between Jews and Samaritans. Jesus spoke to her, first of all, something that should not have been done between a Jewish man and a woman, unless, as Pastor Glenn said, they had ill intentions. But nor did religious men associate with outcasts, as we learned this woman was in her town. Now, during their conversation, Jesus told her things about herself that led her to believe that he was a prophet. When he revealed to her that he was the Messiah, she ran off to tell the townspeople. Now, many of the people believed her, and some of them followed her out to where Jesus was. And even more people believed after they had actually spent time with Jesus. Her actions introduced the Messiah to a people normally shunned by the Israelites. Now, it's great that, you know, we have all of these characters in the Bible, but the good news is that the power of God to transform lives and situations didn't end in the Bible. I recently read about two individuals living in different eras whose actions changed the lives of many people, and in the first case, the course of history. Now, William Wilberforce, there have been tons of books written about him, and this isn't even a full page, okay? So there are a lot of details that are being left out. But this man was awesome. Uh, he was elected to the British Parliament when he was 21 and served 45 years from 1780 to 1825. He, but in 1784, he began to seriously study the Bible. And on December 7, 1785, he committed his life to Christ. Wilberforce almost retired from Parliament after his great change, as he called it. But his meetings with John Newton, the former slave ship master, who later wrote Amazing Grace, a song that we love to sing, convinced him that he could best serve God by retaining his seat in Parliament. Wilberforce later wrote in his diary that God Almighty has placed before, us two great, before me two great objects, the suppression of the slave trade, and the reformation of manners, that is, morals. Over the next two decades, Wilberforce spearheaded the movement to abolish the slave trade. His decision to take up the mantle to abolish slavery cost him friendships and took a major toll on his health, but he was willing to pay a steep price, both personally and politically, to act according to his conscience. On February 23, 1807, the abolition of the Slave Trade Act was finally passed by Parliament. Wilberforce retired from Parliament in 1825, but continued to fight for abolishing the slave trade across the British Empire. On July 26, 1833, just a few days before his death, Parliament passed the Emancipation Act, freeing all the slaves of the British Empire. This last individual that I wanted to mention, his name is Brian Stevenson. 
I first read the book, Just Mercy, about seven years ago. And I have to tell you, it made me sad, it made me angry, I was disappointed, I was hopeful and thankful that people like him exist in our country today. Mr. Stevenson is a man of deep faith who has dedicated his life's work to defend the poor and underserved people trapped in the criminal justice system. While attending Harvard Law School in the 1980s, he signed up for a summer internship with the Southern Prisoners Defense Committee in Atlanta, Georgia. His boss asked him to deliver a message to a prisoner who had been on death row for two years without an attorney. His job was to tell the prisoner, you will not be killed in the next year. That encounter with the prisoner started him on a journey that continues to this day. In his book, Just Mercy, Stevenson wrote that we have shot, hanged, gassed, electrocuted, and lethally injected hundreds of people to carry out legally sanctioned executions. For years, we've been the only country in the world that condemns children to life imprisonment without parole. In 2005, the Supreme Court ruled that shield, children were shielded from the death penalty under the Eighth Amendment, 2005. And in 20, May 2010, the Supreme Court ruled that life in prison without parole for children was cruel and unusual punishment and constitutionally impermissible. Stevenson went on to say that his work representing the poor, the incarcerated, and the condemned has persuaded him that the opposite of poverty is not wealth. The opposite of poverty is justice. In February 1989, Stevenson opened a nonprofit law center that eventually became the Equal Justice Institute. He had several high-profile cases that resulted in innocent people on death row being exonerated, including Anthony Ray Hinton, who had been on death row for almost 30 years. Hinton became the 100th, this was at the time of the writing of this book, he became the 152nd person in America exonerated and proved innocent after having been wrongfully condemned to death. I think the New York Times book review written by Ted Conover will give you a better understanding of the impact of Stevenson's work. You don't have to read long to start cheering for this man. Against tremendous odds, Stevenson has worked to free scores of people from wrongful or excessive punishment, arguing five times before the Supreme Court. The message of this book hammered home by dramatic examples of one man's refusal to sit quietly in continence horror is that evil can be overcome, a, a difference can be made. Just mercy will make you upset and it will make you hopeful. Brian Stevenson has been angry about the criminal justice system for years and we are all the better for it. Now, not everyone is called or equipped to accomplish the feats that William Wilberforce did in his era or what is continuing to do today. But we can all do something to affect positive changes in our communities and within our sphere of influence. It's not about where you're planted, but what you do where you're planted. It's okay to start small. The Bible says, do not despise small beginnings. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is quoted as saying, if I cannot do great things, I can do small things in a great way. Or as Mother Teresa put it, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. The other thing is we should avoid comparisons. 
We don't have to compare ourselves with others or envy their talents or gifts. That's the easiest and fastest way to get discouraged and feel as though everyone else is doing great, but you're falling behind or standing still. As the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, we are one body made up of many parts. So we need to run our own race. doing, where should I go? You know, what's my place? One of the things I did was I wrote down the things that I was interested in. And I still use that list today. Poverty, health, education, criminal justice reform, and the environment. So maybe you have a list of things that you care about or are passionate about. And that could be a starting place if you're looking at places to get involved. As I prepare to close, I'd like to mention a couple of people from New Hope whose light continues to shine in and outside of the four walls of this church. Beverly Hewitt. My first real encounter with Beverly was when she led the Thursday evening prayer gatherings here at the church. I was immediately struck by her sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and the grace that seemed to surround her. Over the years, I have witnessed how she has used her gifts and talents to help others grow in their knowledge of God, build a strong prayer life, and a caring community. God has used her to come alongside people walking through difficult times, and she has done it with humility, trust, and faith in God's power to heal the brokenhearted. The second person is Jill Ludlam. To me, Jill is a one-woman force of nature. She seems to be everywhere at once, but at her core is her heart for children, to see them thrive in every, every area of their lives, especially in the knowledge of God and his love for each one of them. Jill's heart for children is not confined to the ones who show up for children's church every week. Even in her professional life, she's able to make a positive difference in the lives of the students in her classroom. And so I mentioned that I, <clears throat> that I had served in the military well, in 1985, I was graduating from Officer Candidate School, and my mother was supposed to come to the graduation ceremony in Rhode Island. And that week, she went into the hospital. So when I went home after, after leaving Rhode Island, I went back to New York. And my mother, uh, she was still in the hospital. And someone said, well, you should wear your uniform, because she didn't get to see me in my, in my little ensign uniform. <laughs> so I, I went to the hospital, and she was able to see me. And, and it was great. And I had two weeks leave, and then I had to report to my duty station in Norfolk, Virginia. Help somebody along the way, then my living helps somebody along the way, then my living has not been in vain. Now, my mother was someone, you'll never read about her in any of the history books or anything like that, but she was a woman who cared about people. She fed people when they were hungry. If there were people who were living on the street and needed a meal, she would make sure they had a meal, like her morning devotionals. And so yesterday... When I was looking for something, I had totally forgotten about this Bible. This Bible belonged to my grandmother. And my mother had this Bible. And she had been writing all sorts of things in this Bible when people were born, when people died. And she had recorded her mother's death. I, I mean, and then I did not know that I had done this. But at the very bottom... There was just a little bit of space left. I wrote that my mother died, um, and I gave the details of her death. And I wish my mother could be here today because there were so many things in my life that she did not get to witness. But I feel that by having this Bible, it's just a reminder, and it's just a legacy that has been passed on. 
Because you know what? I didn't, I, I didn't believe in God in the sense that, you know, I had a personal relationship with him or anything. But you never know who's praying for you and who's looking out for you. Because even when I didn't know how to pray or believe in prayer, someone was praying for me. And so I just want to encourage, like, especially for moms, don't stop praying for your children. God hears prayers. And I am so thankful uh, just to be able to stand before you today. And if you're here today and, you know, you don't know Jesus or you've been going to church and you don't feel anything, I was that way too. Until that encounter on July 17, 1998, I had been going to church, sitting in service and everything. But I felt like there was something, there was a hole in my heart or there was a veil, something that wasn't allowing me to connect. And I had prayed a prayer on the way to listen to a minister in Portsmouth, Virginia. It was hot inside the church. Mosquitoes were biting. And somehow the pastor, um, as he was walking around preaching, he said, you honey. And he basically said to me the things that I had been praying. I mean, people who were there said, what happened? Like the look that came over your face, like what happened to you? Honestly, I don't remember all of the details. All I know is that something incredible happened. I say that the Lord radically changed my life on July 17th, 1998. So if you're here and you don't have a, a connection with God, if you're just going through the motions, just know there's more. There's more than just going to a church service. There's more than, it's just not just even reading the Bible. It's really making that heartfelt connection, not just your mind, but your heart as well. And so thank you very much for your patience, and I do appreciate the opportunity that's been given to me today, and I just pray that God will just watch over each one of you and bless you in an incredible way, and that you'll be inspired to serve, whether it's inside or outside of the church. The world needs us. The whole creation is groaning, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Our presence makes a difference, and how we live our lives matter. Thank you.